Good morning, friends. Welcome to this morning's gathering. It is, as always, a pleasure to spend this time in your company, as together we come before God to bless and to be blessed. As we begin, will you join me as together we pray the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is done in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us for our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forevermore. Amen. And now Wendy is going to bring us our first reading from the first book of Kings. Today's reading comes from 1 Kings chapter 8, reading verse 1 to 10. The Ark Brought to the Temple Solomon then summoned the leaders of all the tribes and families of Israel to assemble in Jerusalem. They were to bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from its location in the city of David, also known as Zion, to its new place in the temple. They all assembled before the king at the annual festival of shelters in early autumn. When all the leaders of Israel arrived, the priests picked up the ark. Then the priests and the Levites took the ark of the Lord, along with the tabernacle and all its sacred utensils, and carried them up to the temple. King Solomon and the entire community of Israel sacrificed sheep and oxen before the ark in such numbers that no one could keep count. Then the priests carried the ark of the Lord's covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the ark, forming a canopy over the ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the front entrance of the temple's main room, the holy place, but not from the outside. They are still there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed there at Mount Sinai, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel as they were leaving the land of Egypt. As the priests came out of the inner sanctuary, A cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their work because the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Friends, that's a wonderful story and and it's a wonderful event. It's an event filled with thanksgiving and praise for the goodness of God to his people. And we have all in our own different ways experienced the goodness and the blessings of God in the past week and in the past months and years. Shall we come before him now and give thanks? Adonai, Elohim, El Shaddai, Abba. Lord God, this morning we call on you by the names we have learned from those who have worshipped you in ages past. Like them, we joyfully and reverently take these names upon our lips. 
knowing that even our very words are not enough to contain the majesty and beauty of who you are. You are always more than we know, more than we expect. We know that even now, as we turn to you this morning, you have already turned towards us, calling us with warm hospitality into your very presence. And we come now to wait before you, to be in your presence, to offer our praise and our prayers and to meditate on your word. It is in such green pastures and by such quiet waters our souls are restored. Here in your holy presence you greet us as the father greeted the prodigal and welcomed him home. In the muck and messiness of our sins you embrace us and with a determined grace and a tender merciful love you hold us. Thank you. Thank you for these wonderful, life-sustaining, hope-inspiring blessings. We know all of this we have received because of Jesus. It is our hope, Abba Father, that all that we do and say throughout this morning and this coming day and God willing throughout this coming week will be a blessing to you and a blessing to those we meet along the way. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Saviour. Amen. And now, friends, Wendy is going to bring us our second reading from the first book of Kings. Our second reading is from 1 Kings chapter 8, reading verse 22 to 30. Solomon's Prayer of Dedication Then Solomon stood with his hands lifted toward heaven before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire community of Israel. He prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in all of heaven or earth. You keep your promises and show unfailing love to all who obey you and are eager to do your will. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. You made that promise with your own mouth, and today you have fulfilled it with your own hands. And now, O Lord, God of Israel, carry out your further promise to your servant David, my father. For you said to him, If your descendants guard their behaviour as you have done, they will always reign over Israel. Now, O God of Israel, fulfil this promise to your servant David, my father. But will God really live on earth? Why, even the highest heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. Listen to my prayer and my request, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is making to you today. May you watch over this temple both day and night, this place where you have said you would put your name. May you always hear the prayers I make to this place. May you hear the humble and earnest requests from me and your people, Israel, when we pray towards this place. Yes, hear us from heaven, where you live, 
And when you hear, forgive. Here ends today's readings. Amen. Today's reading about the dedication of the first temple in Jerusalem is not one of the better known stories in the Bible. But the event that happened almost 3,000 years ago still has much to teach us about how we do our faith today. The backstory tells us that Solomon had spent seven years building this temple. He had ensured that only the finest and most expensive materials would be used by the best tradesmen available. The work is now complete, and we join the story on the day of the grand opening. And we are told that as soon as the Ark of the Covenant is put in place, the whole temple is filled with the cloud of God's presence. Now, the story does not tell us that God is a cloud, only that he was in the cloud. The cloud, if you like, worked as an embodied metaphor or symbol of his presence. A cloud is a strange thing to mark your presence by. When Israel left Egypt, God offered a cloud as the reassuring form of his presence and as a means of providing guidance for them as they made their way toward their future destiny through an unknown wilderness. And in that sense too, I guess, a cloud is a strange thing to offer as a form of guidance. It is, after all, difficult to see into a cloud and out of one and almost impossible to grasp one. A cloud is also a water-filled presence. In her stunning poem, Lake Loop, the Native American poet Natalie Diaz wrote, Every story is a story of water. Water, it would seem, is central to the creation stories of almost every indigenous culture on earth. But while a cloud contains refreshing, life-sustaining water, it will only release that blessing under certain circumstances. All of these things that we realize about the cloud speak to different aspects of our walk with God, like the fact that the refreshing, life-sustaining water contained in the cloud will only be released under certain conditions, speaks to us of the fact that soul-refreshing life, the soul-refreshing life that God offers us, is not a tap that we can turn on and off at will and leisure, but actually there are certain conditions in order to access that soul-refreshing life that God offers to us. And our inability to see through a cloud speaks of our inability to know all that there is to know about God. We may know God, but it is certain that we do not know all that there is to know about God. And our inability to grasp a cloud, to tie it down, if you like, speaks of our inability to contain God within our grasp, our inability to tie him down, if you like, to one simple location. God's presence that day in the temple was not a first-time event. The story of Israel's exodus from Egypt tells us, as I said, that God offered a cloud as the reassuring form of his presence with them as they made their way through an unknown wilderness. The cloud was also there when they gathered for the covenant-making ceremony at Mount Sinai. What God offered in the, to the Israelites in the desert 
On this day he was now offering them at the dedication of the temple. The cloud, if you liked, marked his presence among the people. And I'm sure as Solomon stood to pray his prayer of dedication at the temple that morning, he would no doubt have remembered that when his father, King David, had inquired about building a temple, God told David, I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. For I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Solomon in his prayer concedes that the temple cannot and could never contain God. God is always bigger than the things we construct to contain him or to explain him, whether they be buildings or dogmas. But that does not mean that buildings and dogmas are not important. They are. But it is important to remember that they are always a means to God's ends, never an end in themselves. They are, if you like, our imperfect ways of bearing witness to an ineffable God. In his prayer, Solomon is walking a bit of a tightrope. His new building is not like the tabernacle. The tabernacle is portable. It was movable. In that worship tent, God camped out with the people of Israel. And he had done so for hundreds of years. But now that tent has been taken down and put away and been replaced by something completely different. Solomon has built a house for God, a fixed place, a temple made of solid materials. And you can hear the note of tension in his prayer as he is trying to put this change into the words of his prayer. If I could paraphrase, it's as though he's saying, God, I know you can't possibly live here. You're too big for heaven itself. There's not a chance you could fit into this temple that we've made with human hands. Yet I believe you will be here, that you will keep your eyes open toward this place day and night, so that to pray here is to meet with you in a particular way. In other words, Solomon wants to be clear. God hasn't got stuck in one place. He hasn't got tied down to one location. God will still be on the move, temple or no temple. This truth was something that will be extremely important for the Jewish people to remember many years later when the temple will be destroyed by invading armies. It reminds us also that our forms of worship, our particular church traditions, if you like, are used by God, but they are not the only thing that God uses to accomplish his purposes. Anywhere God is, is holy. And God is everywhere. I mean, did he not meet with Moses in a burning bush? Did he not meet with Jacob in the middle of the desert? Did he not meet with the apostles on the Mount of Transfiguration? The Jewish rabbi, Abraham Joshua Herschel, often spoke of how Judaism learned to build its cathedrals, not in space, but in time. These cathedrals, he said, are not buildings of wood and stone, but are made of Sabbaths and other feast days. 
in this prayer offered by Solomon, there's a sanctification of space. The sanctification of space, though, readily gives way to the sanctification of time. Solomon invites the Lord, if you like, into Israel's time, into its future, asking God to forgive the sins of their past, to relieve them in their difficulties, to sustain them in the days ahead. Judaism has nonetheless produced some beautiful sacred architecture. So too has Christianity. But in both religions, the sanctification of holy places is far overshadowed by the sanctification of time with liturgies of the week and the year and indeed the lifespan. Friends, our best and most magnificent cathedrals are not built in space, but in time, in how we worship and bear witness. So does it make any difference where we worship God? No, not really. And yet, and yet, there clearly was something special about the temple. Something about that place and that space that was different from other places and spaces. Think, for example, about the amazing visions that God would later give to Isaiah in that temple. Like the one that Isaiah describes of seeing God in the temple, sitting on a throne, high and lifted up and the hem or the train of his robe filling the temple. If the portability and movability of the tabernacle taught Israel that God was on the move, then the majesty of the temple and God's presence in the cloud that day taught Israel that God was an awesome and holy presence. So what is the take-home story for us today? Friends, God has used the physical, social and spiritual presence of the Church of Scotland to great effect to bless this nation in days gone by. And I believe that he still wishes to use you and all of its people to continue to be a blessing to this nation and to the nations. However, as we face the challenges of the near and distant future, we need to remember the truth in the words of Solomon's prayer, that God cannot be contained by us. He cannot be contained by our preferences, nor by our structures. Some of you will be here to face the challenges of the immediate future, but you will not be here to face all the challenges that are coming in the distance future. You must therefore decide to leave a legacy, a legacy of reverent but critical creativity to the next generation. Critical creativity is the process whereby you are constantly looking at what is and asking, is it the best purposes for the church's mission, not for the church's comfort or personal preferences? In other words, does what we do when we do it, how we do it, and where we do it, best serve the why of the church. The why of the church is found in Matthew 28, where Jesus said, go, go, in other words, move, go and make disciples. 
Critical creativity goes beyond just critiquing what is. It also seeks to find creative solutions to the challenges the church faces when it is faithful to its mission recalling from Jesus. In his prayer, Solomon speaks of the temple in missional terms, as a place of witness, as a blessing to the nations. St. Paul describes the church as the new temple, that like the old temple, bears witness to God's holy presence among us. Friends, our challenge is, how will we, we the church, the new temple of God, if you like, and the local churches, local temples, if you will, how will we bear witness in these days and in the days to come to God's presence among the people? To God's presence among the people. How will we bear witness to this in ways that are faithful to the mission recalling that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28 to go and to make disciples? God bless you all. Shall we gather now, friends, as Kathy leads us in the prayers of intercession? This is a responsive prayer. Lord, in your mercy, <clears throat> hear our prayers. Father, we come before you as always aware we have failed you at some point this week. We have said, thought or done things which were unkind to others and we ask you to be with us as we try yet again to be better people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We have watched once again the horrors of war and disruption erupt in Afghanistan, actions already betraying the words of apparent reconciliation, parents telling daughters to destroy evidence of their achievements, Families being told on the pain of torture or death to say where their men have gone. Men who had helped the Western forces in so many ways. Be with all these people. Give them strength to know they are not alone. Be with the Taliban even and make them realise theirs is not the path of peace. Be with us as we welcome the refugees into this country, knowing it will be strange for them but that Britain will be stronger for their contributions to come. Be with the servicemen and women who served out there, lost friends and colleagues, and now wonder if it was worth it. The parents of those who died, or those severely injured, are asking the same question. Be with all, and let them know they gave hope and a form of stability which allowed women in particular to flourish to live what we would call a normal life. Their service was not in vain. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. As the events in Asia have been taking place in the opposite direction, the people of Haiti are once again suffering the horrific effects of earthquake and torrential rain. But little of that has been said in our press. Thousands have died or are missing. Hundreds are injured and hospitals are struggling once again. Children about to go back to their schools have lost what was going to be a return for normality for them. For six, over 600,000 are in dire need of help. 
but much of that is cut off because of tropical storm grace. Be with all those affected and with the relief agencies as they struggle to reach the affected villages cut off by landslides. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. In several areas of Africa, unrest continues, with many being killed, some in religious wars, but others over grazing rights. No matter the reason, lives lost leave families without breadwinners, partners, parents or children. Be with all involved and help find a resolution. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. In this country, be with the children and teachers as they have now completed their first days back at school. Little ones who went in with hope and probably not a little bravado. Older ones are going to be the little fish in a big pool as opposed to the big fish in the little pool. University students still wait to know what kind of life they will have as they move forward into higher education. Teachers who are happy to be in their classrooms again, for some the first time as qualified teachers. Let them know you have their back and they are not alone. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Here in the silence, we give up to you the names of people who are struggling this week for whatever reason. We know you will help them. Father in heaven, be with all these we have named and described above. Be with us this week as we ha hear news we may not like, or good news too. See things we do or don't like. Give us the courage to take action when needed to help others, even if it is just picking up a phone and saying, Hi, how are you? I'm here for you. Be with our friends and families as they take steps into new pastures over the coming weeks. And most of all, Lord, be with us as we move into the new week with all the challenges we will face. All this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Before I bring you the benediction, I need to tell you that this may well be the last time I will do this web service. But I will assure you that the service will continue whether I am doing it or not. I have enjoyed my time with you and I hope you have enjoyed spending your time with me as together we have worshipped every Sunday over the past year. Let me now pronounce the blessing, the benediction from the book of Hebrews upon you and yours. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with every good thing for doing his will. And may he work in you what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all.